to be whole, if you're embodying that worldview, that understanding, and they're living, what will happen is that you will be part of the harmony and balance of what is expanding out in this consciousness that's not only material, but it is spiritual, it's conscious, it's all of that. Hello, I'm Julie Kroll. You're listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. Welcome. Your journey of conscious evolution continues right here, right now. We live on a conscious planet in a conscious universe, and we're intimately related to everything, animals, plants, water, and earth herself. Pause and really hear this. Today, we are going to explore our own emergence as self-aware members of a planetary home and entire universe that is unified and innately sentient. My co-host of the Conscious Planet series, Dr. Jude Curvin, has detailed the 13.8 billion year story of Gaia where everything in existence has inherent meaning and evolutionary purpose. The insights gleaned in this science-packed manuscript, blended with the indigenous wisdom of our esteemed guests, are sure to take us on a journey of profound revelation and a deepening relationship with the Earth. From protons to planets, plants, and people, prepare yourself for a beautiful, profoundly resonant, and deeply moving story of Gaia. I invite you to take a few conscious breaths with me, bring your awareness to your heart, and relax and open your mind, settle into your essential wholeness. As I introduce my co-host and guest, my co-host, Dr. Jude Curavan, is a cosmologist, planetary healer, futurist, and author of best-selling and award-winning The Cosmic Hologram, and just published The Story of Gaia. Previously a senior international businesswoman, she's a member of the Evolutionary Leader Circle and co-founder of Whole World View. She holds a PhD in archaeology and a master's degree from Oxford University, specializing in cosmology and quantum physics, and integrates leading-edge science and universal wisdom teachings, aiming to serve conscious evolution. And our guest, Dr. Anita Sanchez, has spent four decades weaving indigenous wisdom and modern science to support individuals, business, and nonprofit leaders and their teams all over the world. A truly inspiring speaker, Dr. Sanchez is author of seven books, including the international best-selling and award-winning The Four Sacred Gifts, Indigenous Wisdom for Modern Times. Anita is a member of the Transformational Leadership Council, Evolutionary Leaders, and the Evolutionary Business Council. She's a board member of Bioneers and the Pacha Mama Alliance. Welcome, Dr. Sanchez. I want to say Anita right away and welcome Jude. Here we are. <laughs> yeah, it's good to see you both. Oh, thank you, Anita, for being with us today. And Julie, thank and bless you for inviting me to be your co-host. 
what an exciting journey we're all on. It is an exciting journey. And, and Anita, I am so looking forward to bringing your wisdom to this. And I know you've had a lot of experiences with the book and reading it and the stories and it's brilliantly written. So we have a traditional first question on the show. And the first nine years of the show, I asked the same question. What does all things connected mean to you? But I'm kind of shifting it around in this 10th year and really inviting a more personal heart-centered look at it. And I saw a quote that you had in a recent interview, and I want to just start with that quote and then ask you in relation to that quote. So you said, I had rich learning from my grandmother and my mother about the importance of sacredness of all beings, the people, the earth, and spirit. When I watched my grandmother and mother cooking, they would always give blessings of gratitude to the earth, water, sun, and all the elements, and to people who grew the food that was now at our table. We were taught not to waste anything from the water we drank to the friendships we made. I love that. I love that because you embody all things connected. Your writing, your work, your life embodies all things connected. You truly have lived that. So I'm wondering with the story of Gaia and and that beautiful quote in your life, can you just share with us? I know that all things connected has influenced you greatly. What does this mean for you in your life, Anita? Well, it's so empowering because what I realize is that at times as a human being, I might feel lonely, but I'm never alone. So the fact that I am part of all my relations, and I immediately put my hand in a hoop because that's how I grew up. And I still feel that all the time is that, you know, there is this hoop of life and it's not just the earth. It's the whole, the cosmos, it's all, all of it. And everything, everyone, every being, all of it, from the creepy colors, the things we don't see, to uh, human, everything is part of the relations. And so when I think 13.8 billion years and I'm one of, I'm here, then that, that means something. And that allows me to be able to pause at times when I, as a human being, get distracted or get disillusioned and start spiraling downward, that that's okay. I can have compassion for myself. And then I can reframe quickly to remember, to the remembering that I belong, that I'm part of this amazing, amazing, intimately interconnected world of all my relations. Jude, you probably like that because she used the word belong. Do you know, I was just about to say that. (laughs) Julie and I are realizing the deep sense of not being separate because we're beginning to finish each other's sentences now. So it's... Yeah, it worked. You you said that word. You're right, Julie. Um, I often talk about going beyond this sense even of unity and diversity, going beyond unity and inclusion to unity in belonging. And I'd love you to share with us when you say belonging, what for you is that sort of sense of of difference? It's It can often feel a nuance, but I think it's deeper than that. The difference between unity and diversity and unity in belonging. Well, you tapped right into, that's a lot of my work. I mean, as human beings, we create families, we create community organizations, we create businesses. And what I see is the reemergence of belonging. 
which is your work is so powerful because you're bringing in all of the science, the understanding of that. And so when I talk about the reemergence of belonging and what that means is it means that it, again, it's just the intimate interconnection. There is no, this whole illusion that we're continually being taught that we're separate, that we're to compete, that, you know, power over is the only kind of power instead of collaboration, cooperation. So the belonging means that even when there's not agreement, there is this space for you to be honored, acknowledged, to be able to say, oh, well, I, I hear you and here's another way and here's another way, but you're never tossed out because as Black Elk said, you know, the center of the universe is everywhere and the edge is nowhere, that we're always a part of and we belong. And I think that's been forgotten so that there's those that are part of me and then your other that don't really matter. Instead, it, forgetting the sacredness, that belonging, that is just a part of part of being. I love that. And for me, it's not having to wait to be invited. <laughs> don't wait to be invited because we belong. <laughs> no, we belong. I, you know, I love that. I'm going to, I haven't used this not waiting to be invited, but you know, as a woman of color, indigenous, Mexican American, you know, from the start of my career, uh, I had really well-meaning people, but just saying, no, you need to go join an organization because you'll never make it on your own. You'll do all this. And I'm just thinking, I don't know what they're talking about because I belong here. I belong everywhere. And it doesn't mean that I'm, there's different levels of intelligence and kind of intelligence, but I also know that I belong. I'm a part of. So thank you. I, I'm going to do that about, you don't wait to be invited. That's very empowering. I love that. I love that. And you have belonged to, uh, so a family of color, but also the culture, the indigenous culture, you really have this innately with your belonging in culture that teaches us all things are connected. But you also, from a little girl, you, Jude and I both had an early childhood experience that influenced our work in the world. And you talk about a reoccurring dream that began when you were just three years old. Can you tell us about it and how that's influenced your belonging and, and your work in the world? Love you too. I get to talk about all these uplifting things. Yes. And I still talk about this dream. So at as early as age three that I can remember, I had this dream about who I was and what I was going to be when I grew up. And in kindergarten, I, so I always shared dreams with my mother and grandmother. And they would always affirm the good dreams. And if they were bad dreams, they just said, tonight, go and redream it. Just ask the ancestors to come and redream it. But anyway, so in kindergarten, they asked the little kids, there are 24 of us, draw what you're going to be when you grow up. And so people draw the mommies and daddies and, you know, firemen, all the great things. And I drew the earth and all these stick people of different colors, but we had our hands on each other's hearts. And I said, I was the last one. I said, this is me. And there's millions of us all over the world. And we're, we're connecting each other's heart. This is what I'm going to be when I grow up. And the kids laughed and the teacher said, put away your crayons. And that's when I really this dream like went into another way because I can imagine as a five-year-old, you would think you'd be embarrassed or, you know, instead what happened to you, I just all of a sudden felt like my feet were going into the earth and my head went to the sky and I just knew. And so to this day, in some of the C-suites of major corporations to in the middle of the Amazon, all over, I continue to share this dream. And sometimes a few people say, don't you, I don't know, that might 
make you look not so credible. But overwhelmingly, even when those people say it, there's bound to be a CEO or the chief of a, of a, a, a nation who will come and say, oh, that's wonderful. You helped me remember some of my dreams that I threw away as a small child. So these dreams are important. They remind us of who we are and what we are. It's not, it's, it, 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 yeah, all of it is very important. <laughs> and to this day, and that dream has helped me to through some of the toughest times because it's not as if everything was wonderful in my life. I went through a lot of hardship as a child with abuse. So on one hand, I had great elders and teachings, but I also kept a dark secret. And then also the race-related murder of my father when I was 13. All of these horrific that I've had therapists say, oh my gosh, how could you be alive? And I went, first of all, don't ever say that. Not only to a teenager, to anyone. Instead, you go, wow, you're meant to be here. What is it? You know, tell me more and things like that. But anyway, that dream has helped me to realize that but very early on, even though it seems in a very simplistic way, but I think most wisdom is actually pretty simple, that I do belong. I'm meant to be here. And I have a wonderful contribution to make to a mission that belongs to millions, if not billions of people on this planet. That's, that's so beautiful, Anita. And I love your grandma. I... <laughs> I do. Uh, I so love your grandma because when you and I were on a panel a while ago, you're wearing her blouse, and I sort of intuited because you didn't actually say it. I thought you said your mum, but anyway, and those teachings, no, it's both. It's both. So those 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 were experiential teachings all the way through your childhood. You know, that's what I feel is so wonderful that I don't get a sense that your grandma your grandmother taught you sort of cognitively. She taught you bodily. She taught you experientially that you belong. Because I don't think belonging is something we can think. It's something we feel and something we know in our body, yeah. isn't it? Um, it's at a deeper level, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. You're bringing up the story. I think when we were together, if I can share it, I'll shrink it. But this was another wonderful story. I think I was around four. My little sister was over two and my older sister was six or seven. And we stayed over grandma's on the weekend. But she told us the next morning, we were going to get up in the dark and we we're going to go to her garden every hour throughout the day. And when we were there for five minutes, we were to be quiet and we should be with the sunflower. So it's August in Missouri, very humid. Julie will understand with Nebraska humidity. <laughs> and, and so we go out there, it's dark and we're standing there and then we're quiet. And you can imagine what happened every hour. The sunflowers continually move to face the sun, right? And so we continually do that. I remember lunch was about to happen. I was thinking, let's skip lunch. I really love those five minutes of being there with the sunflower. And then nighttime came and she brought us in and I was sort of sad, but I also felt, I felt very filled up. And then we ate and then she grabbed the flashlight and she says, let's go and you have to be quiet. So we go out and there's no moon out. It's very dark. She has the flashlight down. She turns it on. We can see we're automatically in a little circle. And then she turns it over to the sunflower, her garden. And the sunflowers are looking at each other. Mm. And then she put it down and we went in. And she never, Jude, explained a single thing. And to this day, all these learnings continue more and more about, wow, so even in the darkest dark, which some people feel, you know, we're in it, we've got so many challenges. 
there's always light. That's the light of the sun that we're a part of, the seeds of light receiving those, the, the light of each other, even the dark that we have, that we can turn to each other. And it's and again, it's not just two-legged human beings to human beings, right? That's what I love about her sunflowers. So you're right, Jude. I'm glad you're a fan of my grandmother too. And even though she passed long ago, she feels more and more with me than more than ever. And, and just to, yeah, absolutely. How could she not be, you know? But the, the other thing that I wanted to ask you about, because the story of Gaia and these stories, these experiences really reveal a universe that isn't just whole, isn't just unified, but meaningfully exists and purposefully evolves. So I'd love you to share with Julie and myself your sense of that innate meaning and, and vitally the evolutionary impulse that's embodied, you know, in this 13.8 billion journey that's ongoing of, of our conscious living universe. Well, I like to share two things. One, just my morning practice for about a little over 20 years now is I always wake before the sun. I was going to say sun rises. The sun is always there when the earth moves so that I can see the sun. So, um, and what in, in ceremony, what I do is receive the seeds of light. Don't look directly at it, but receive that. And I, there's a sense of doing this that the messages about ancestors from long, long ago, some of that you triggered in the book that like how, you know, there's, there's this knowing that I'm a part of that. And again, not just two legged other beings that that's so powerful that if I don't do that, which has only been when I'm sick that I've not been able to get up and do that. I, it, the day isn't complete. You know, it's that kind of reminder, but the other part is the Amazon. And I, I do, um, I'm on the board of Pachamama Alliance, and I do take every year a group of people into the Amazon and the sacred headwaters of the Amazon, where we learn to be with the rainforest. We're actually remembering about belonging. <laughs> it's really a big piece of it. And on the importance of culture and indigenous wisdom and that. But what I will say is that when we go in there, even though people think they have no relationship with that, they immediately, first thing they say, always when they get off that first plane and then we're hiking canoe, but the thing they say is, what is that? You know, I see all the green, but what is that? And I say, it's breath, it's oxygen. Most of us has never experienced oxygen. We don't want pure oxygen. We couldn't, we couldn't survive on that, but the oxygen is so clean from the plant relatives and just that biodiversity is just so amazing that we're a part of it as we walk. And over time, over the days, people start to walk, kissing Mother Earth, kissing and caring about, you know, not the, all the fears about, oh, the bugs and all. The, instead, it's like, wow, look. And all of this has intimate interconnection. And I close that with saying, I also honor the great mystery and I'm humble that I will never understand it all. I had to work hard in some of the pieces of your, of your book just to understand, but at the same time, I could sense it. But what, what happened is, that I started going in 2007 to the Amazon. And it was only a couple of years ago when I did my DNA study that I thought I was Nawa, which is a Stekan from my grandmother and that. But what I learned is, yes, you are half, 50% indigenous. But what it came out is 17% is from the Amazon. I have no stories of that, Jude and Julie, no stories. And yet in all our lives, how many things come that whether we can have conscious awareness of that, 
that are this universe allowing us. So it's like a return and a remembering another level of belonging and then able to invite and have other people also experience that because if, if there were ever a time for us to remember the belonging, it's now, you know, because you wouldn't hurt, you wouldn't co- consciously cause harm to anything, not only now, but for seven generations forward. If we knew how important it is that and how loving and how, oh, just everything is actually operating. I truly feel this, even with all the difficulties I had in my early life, it's conspiring in our favor. I truly believe that. And I've experienced it. I love that. Thank you. You know, your the indigenous wisdom is is so just radiant from you and it's helpful to our human race, like to really begin to embody this. And you had mentioned intimate interconnection. And you had said in the same interview, a whole human being embraces a worldview with the understanding that we are all intimately interconnected. And then you invite people to become, I love this, a life giving connection to all people in the earth. So I love this for a couple of reasons. First, I had a real life giving connection when I was reading the story of Gaia. I just felt from from the earliest bacteria to humans presenting themselves on the planet or however that happened evolutionary, like I was feeling this life-giving story that really was informing me. So I loved that. But second, both Jude and I are really invested in expanding a whole worldview. And you, you talked about whole human and the worldview. And this is important now. This is our pathway forward is to really adopt a whole worldview. So I'm wondering if after reading the story of Gaia, if you had an experience that will enhance and inform your work moving forward, if, if the story of Gaia did that for you. I'm just wondering that life-giving connection to all people in the earth. So I want to start there, but then I also had a a dream. So I'm going to follow up on the whole human in a second, but I really want to hear about your story reading the book. Oh, well, we don't have enough time. There were so many things in there that triggered experiences, very affirming, but also then remembering, oh, there's little vestiges. I have to forgive this part, let it go. So what I love about your book, and I think the other readers will love too, is that you have a personal little story at the beginning of each section. And then you go into the evolution and the store and the the science behind all of it. And then then the newest things that we've been finding out in the last few years through, through modern science. Well, as I, the personal stories, I just, I lit up. It reminded me of my own. And then through the science, there's something that I just have to say that, that I really want people to read your book. <laughs> is If any of you feel, I remember in fifth grade, they were telling us about entropy. You know, at this point, I've already been doing ceremony with my family and they talked about entropy. And how they explained entropy was everything is in the state of decay. So it's like it came in all, con- all whole and orderly and then it's all downhill from there. It's all done. And I was upset and I was beside myself. And my mother just said, can you get over it? And then she did. She said what she always said. 
which I thought was great for someone with a seventh grade education. She said, Anita, if you want to get an A out there, you answer where they want you to, but then you come home and we'll talk about the truth. Now today, I think people are in a little stronger place where they would challenge as I would and, and have sort of put in my sons in doing that when they hear something that, hey, here's another way to look at this. Now, might not be able to change you teaching it. But when you wrote about the, because what I was taught is life seeks life. You know, life seeks life. That doesn't mean death isn't, death is part of, for life to continue and to evolve into all of that. But to talk about it as this downhill, forget it. Um, so I love that in your book. And you go through a number of ways of explaining entropy, the knowledge that's embedded that also has flexibility to respond to what's happening. That's the indigenous wisdom that I was taught from my elders and that I just so loved in your book. But there are many, many, many things. <laughs> and I, I told you there was a dream that the three of us are walking through the Oxford Museum because you, I, when you talked about being able to visually see that, I had a couple of thoughts. One, well, in my dream. One, it gets made into a movie, your book, um, with the personal stories in that so that people can, the diversity of people, we can still find our unity. But the other thing is that as we you just lit up, I could feel it in the book of being able to be present to our ancestors, to what we're a part of. And that is not a big bang. It's a big breath. All of this fits with the prophecies, with the training, with our observation as scientists, as from the first scientists and indigenous people, in observing the relationship with the earth and the cosmos. So there were so many. Thanks for asking. And I'm sorry I went on so long, but I am so delighted about your book. I love oh, this idea about a movie. What do you think, Jude? I love this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm up for that. I'm definitely up for that. <laughs> If somebody comes inviting us, that would be amazing. And Anita, bless you for saying that point around entropy, because that got me as a little girl. When I first heard this concept, I thought that, that doesn't feel right. That's not how I'm experiencing reality. And it is about life begetting life. So this sort of expansion of that understanding of entropy, not as order to disorder, but as ever greater informational content and meaningful informational content. It means our entire universe has entropy, entropy has been increasing from that first moment, 13.8 billion years ago. And now the, the science that shows that this, this emergent understanding actually accords much more naturally and much more evidentially with with the whole story of our universe. I mean, I, I don't like to brag because I'm a Brit and I'm not really good at this, but the book's just come out and it's number one bestseller in the physics of entropy. So, yay. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's awesome. Congratulations. What, a, what an amazing little sector for us. That's, that's so cool. <laughs> And in many other categories too, by the way, many, many, many other categories. It's been number one. Yes, yes, yes. And oh, I don't want this, this whole to go away. I want to, I want to pause for us to talk about whole human and whole worldview. And last night, both Nita and I dreamt about this last night. So I had this marathon dream about wholeness and, 
So I really do want to follow up because Jude in the new science shows us that we are whole beings nested within larger whole systems. And so my dream was about this nesting and nesting and nesting and nesting. So I want to start with you, Jude, and then we'll pass it to Anita because I, I, because I really <laughs> want to talk about what is a whole human and and what is wholeness? What does that really mean to us? Because a lot of times people will say, well, I'm not whole and to, to heal is to make whole again. And, and sometimes we feel like, well, if I'm a whole independent thing. So I'm just curious first, Jude, this nesting idea and our wholeness, and then I'll, we'll pass it on to Anita to, to expand on that. What is wholeness and what is a whole human? Well, we really begin with our whole universe and our whole universe exists and evolves as a unified entity, which we've been sharing, but also probably the most mind-blowing emergent understanding is our universe also manifests as a cosmic hologram. In other words, the appearance of our universe of energy and matter, space-time, isn't its fundamental reality but that appearance emerges from those deeper levels of intelligent causation. But also the way our universe exists and evolves uh, in its unity, in its wholeness, is that instead of the 3D appearance of space, research now from black holes, but then expanding to the whole of, of our universe, is showing compelling evidence that the appearance is sort of projected as a projection of consciousness from what we call the boundary of space-time. And that's exactly what a hologram does. It projects an appearance. In a human hologram, it's we're shining light off an object and then collecting it and then projecting it. But our universe takes those deeper levels of intelligence, of meaning, of purpose, of causation, and then projects the appearance, the manifested appearance of our universe, essentially holographically. But the important thing here about the nesting is that a hologram, every part of a hologram is a reflection, a nested reflection of the whole. So the whole is in every part and every part, therefore, is intrinsically a whole, a whole on, as it's known as, a whole on of the whole. And those whole ons are nested. So a, an atom is nested within a molecule, which is nested within whatever it's nested in, you know, way beyond humans, everything from protons then to planets and plants and people, literally from the scale, the most minute scale of our universe, every scale upwards to entirety of our universe. So we are nested. So I often say we're microcosmic co-creators of our universe because we're nested, we're a wholeness a community, each of us of 37 trillion cells, a wholeness, not just the physicalized aspect of who we are, but as our dear friend Elizabeth Sartoris tells us, the whole piano keyboard of consciousness, incarnate and discarnate. So the wholeness of us is experience and can be experienced, not always is, of course, we can talk about this, but, you know, we are our divinity our spirituality is also embodied in the wholeness of, of our human experience, our earth walk. 
and then you know we go as Anita's work and your work Julie and mine is is really about that nested it's breathing out and breathing in you know I talk about acting local feeling global thinking cosmic <laughs> because the cosmos is within every you know it's like William Blake once said you know to see a universe in a grain of sand the universe literally is in a grain of sand and we are, you know, 37 tr- trillion cells of us and 8 billion of us are cells of our planetary home Gaia's sentience and planets, the trillions of planets, our cells and planetary systems are cells within our universe. So when we remember that, our wholeness lives in us, our universe's wholeness lives in us and flows through us. I love that. And that wholeness to me is, um, first of all, I love you saying that. And I also want to make a, a commitment. Your cosmic hologram that came out in 2017, I was going, well, how come I didn't know about that? And I realized that's when my book came out and I was just, you know, so I'm going to go back and read it. Uh, however, wholeness has a lot of um, what you're saying. So whole, to be a whole human being, uh, when my elders would share that, and I'm also thinking about the Aztecans, the Incans, I think it all across, I'm just with New Zealand Maori people, is that when we talk about our wholeness, we talk at various levels. So it's that we're spiritual, mental, emotional, physical. These are not separated. Also, what's not separate is we're part of the whole, the whole universe. And that means of every being. So the fact that I'm here, as you were speaking, I, I think about, oh, if I had a you know microscope, I could see the little insects and the bacteria in my gut. And like, I'm here because of all of these other beings that are a part of me that help make me in this vessel here and the breathing with the plants, but also, you know, the Aztecans, the Incas, the Mayans, uh, all over, Af- I mean, all over, all the different, I was just with the Sami up in Norway uh, in ceremony this summer. And I'm just thinking about all of this that we looked always not just to even mother earth it was so even thinking indigenous i never got that it was just meaning earth it was about indigenous to everything to everything so that nestedness it being whole means that to be whole if you're embodying that worldview that understanding and they're living what will happen is that you will be part of the harmony and balance of what is expanding out in this consciousness that's not only material, but it is spiritual. It's conscious. It's all of that. So that's what, to be a whole human being. And then when, so we need to have not us forget that it, it means part of everything. And that's what I was talking about. Just feeling empowered in that never alone, never. And excited that even in my passing in the future, as my relatives taught me, is that they're what they had no fear ever about dying because they knew that it was they would continue because it would be continuing in another way, but still a part of. And as I was saying, as you're sharing stories, I feel like even that which I had ancestors are gone are actually here more than ever. And those ancestors are not only two, like, and I'm sorry, I keep saying that. I know you know that, but I want. I want people to remember that so that we will not consider harming the earth or the cosmos, the planet, anything when we don't need to. We can choose differently. 
We both pause and breathe so deeply. Oh, wow. You know, <clears throat> I'm going to jump in and Jude, I know, has more questions too. I don't want to monopolize. But when you said we're never alone, we're not separate. I'm wondering if you can expand, Anita, also on this idea of we're living in a conscious planet, a sentient planet, because it's like if we're never alone and, and, and when we understand this wholeness that you're talking about, of course, we don't want to harm. But when we really understand the consciousness that Jude is writing about here, that we live in a conscious planet, in a conscious universe, like when we really understand that, it, it changes everything. It changes the whole game of being human. Yeah. I, I think big piece of what it changes is that yes, we need to we're we're physical beings too, so we need to survive. But the level of which we hunger for more and more beyond what we need and take and take and take, that kind of thing, or the lack of trust. So when you can actually forgive, trust, heal, be in unity, there is a freedom like no other. That for me is over the years what's happened is the ability to actually be in unconditional love, be unconditional love, and then give it to others. And then it just, it change, it does change everything. And I will say that when you talk about that, all of this, what just popped up and it may not fit, but it does for me. So I'm going to say it because I, I trust that. Um, one of the last times I was able to be in the Amazon, after people had taken sacred medicine and I'm, I, I just, I never take it when I'm supporting people, but I looked up in the sky and I'm in Ecuador. And of course you see the Northern stars and the Southern stars, all of it. And they were really bright. And I remember, I remember just straining almost like I didn't want to ever forget. So my, my eyes felt like they were popping. I'm like, you know, almost like you're going to give yourself a headache because I just wanted to take it all in. And then on a deep breath, I remember just a deep, deep breath. I remember all of a sudden it all changed. And how it changed, I think, is my example what you're talking about, is that I was sensing with my whole body. It wasn't limited to my eyes. Mm-hmm. That yeah. stars, the stardust that's in me, all the different, you know, this, I'm a part of it. And I really felt being held and holding, and just all a part of everything. And so when we can understand that consciousness that's always there, that brought me back to a place that I have no stories about, that I'm a part of the Amazon, don't know the stories of which tribe, but the fact that that, you know, that there is this knowing and calling and, and trusting. So it does change things. And I'm don't worry as much for things. I just know when I'm being called to something, I'll still pop up. How am I going to do that? But it won't stay very long because it's like, just do it. Just take a step. <laughs> just take a step. And that's what I'm finding all over the world. People, I'm not talking about I, people's minds. They usually go, oh, you're talking about people independently wealthy or have never had any problems. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about some of the poorest, poorest people, some of the wealthiest people, some of that's not a part of it. It's just that the trust in knowing that you are not alone and that everything we do, including talking around our breathing, the plant relative, all of this, we're doing nothing alone that makes you realize, oh man, 
I have an infinite team who's here with me. <laughs> you know, well, not to worry, not to worry. Just take a step, you know, be in hope-filled action. And that's, yeah, that consciousness uh, I'm a part of, it's the universe. I mean, it's all connected. It's right. It's, it's all there. And I trust it. I trust us. I trust the universe. I trust all my relations. I wholeheartedly agree, Anita. But isn't it, isn't it, I'd love to ask both of you, actually, perhaps what anyone hearing us could do to move into that sense of deep trust, because I live my life in this way. And I've had so many experiences that have really invited me into an ever deepening trust that our universe is benevolent, that, you know, I, I talk about the science of love because our universe is, is deeply benevolent. And so inviting us into that relationship, that profound relationship of trust. But I'd love to ask each of you whether there was one, and I know that it'll be of many, because there are many, many steps on this journey, but is there any step that comes to heart and mind that really you had an aha moment of deep trust that, that you know keeps us moving when things can be very, very challenging. It's especially vital when things are very challenging that we can settle into that deep knowingness and that deep trust. So Julie, have you any stories you'd like to tell? And then Anita, I'd love to hear from you. Well, you know, when you first asked the question, Jude, the, the psychologist in me like woke up and wanted to share something. So um, because, because I had a near death experience when I was four and saw the universe differently and lived in both worlds, like walked in both worlds, and then continued to have these experiences. So often I'll have people say, well, you trust it because you had this experience, but I can't, I don't have, I haven't had a near-death experience. I haven't had. So when you first asked that question, the, the one thing that I really wanted to just put out there that has been helpful for people in trusting if they haven't had that direct experience, just like Anita, just like looking up into the stars and, and you're outside of time space and you're directly connected, you're feeling, you're breathing with the stars, right? You have this amazing mystical experience for those who haven't had that yet. I'm going to say yet, because I know all of us are waking and we're on the journey of Elizabeth Satoris' whole piano keyboard is to really understand that this is also a developmental process for humanity, that we are all in this process of consciousness waking to itself as consciousness. So to me, from my perspective, there are levels to that awakening. There are stages developmentally that we're not taught in school. And so from a, a major life experience, or like with you, Anita, I had a childhood just filled with trauma as well and ad adverse experiences. Sometimes it's those that wake us to that other realm of consciousness and that intimate relationship that Anita is talking about with this conscious, sentient, beautiful, 
amazing earth and the plants and the animals and the water and the, you know, but other times it's just those, those brief moments. I would say to our listeners that want to evoke that intimacy of relationship is to go out in nature. Go spend time in nature, stare at the stars at night, go into the wilderness, go into the forests, go into the waters, like really embrace Gaia and this conscious universe from the inside out by getting out into nature. And um, I've had many of those experiences and, you know, too many to share. I, I, I like to call them the mountaintop experiences because there's something about going into the mountains that makes me feel closer to the heavens as, you know, and, you know, some people are water people. Some people are desert people. Some people are, you know, ocean or lake. You know, there's a difference between an ocean energy and a lake energy. Find your place and really commune with nature. So, sorry, that's not one of my experiences, but I really felt compelled to share that. And Anita, I can't wait to hear what you have. No. Yeah. So the two things you said, I was trying to choose between. So a third one popped up then <laughs> because I also had a near death experience at, at 15 months old that I didn't, wasn't told. I dreamt about it at 19 years old and that changed everything. I'll just tell you, I would have done Bible studies better if I, if they had described the after of what I experienced as this 15 month old who died and came back. But what I experienced in that time was amazing. And nature is definitely it. I will also say, I'm used to hearing all of the, um, as, even as you were talking so beautifully, the answers, all the excuses people use to not, I don't have time for that. Look at all these challenges. How is that going to do anything? You know, and it's like, wait a minute. Wait. So here's, here's a suggestion I give for listeners is that before you go to sleep, because everybody has to sleep, you'll be crazy if you don't go to sleep, right? We all need rest. We need oxygen, rest, nutrition, water, and community. So before you go to sleep, invite anyone or anything that you trust. It may be an ancestor. It may be a pet. It may be the sun, the moon, the trees, water, a favorite, whatever it is. Invite them to show up. And in dream time, just bring to you whatever messages, whatever loving messages they have to bring. And most people will actually do that because they don't have an excuse. Like, I don't have time to do that. I'm done that. So you have time to say that before you go to sleep. And it may not happen immediately, but what happens shortly thereafter, if you keep doing it, is you start this knowing because your head, your mind, our minds are out of the way that are just being bombarded all the time on limitations. And that's just not, and I matter and you don't and all that stuff. And it allows you to do that. So, and for those of you who might be saying, but I don't know who my ancestors are. Doesn't even matter. Just before you go to sleep, they, it all show up because it's all part of this consciousness and it will, and it will serve you. And that's the part of the, the whole, the feeling of wholeness and also never, never alone, uh, having so much support in this amazing universe. And I, as I say that, Jude, you say in there, you try not to use amazing. Uh, there were a couple of words and I really have a hard time. I was telling myself, I'm not going to use those words. I just stick to real 
or it's concrete or science that you've gotten to tell it. But it is absolutely incredible, isn't it? <laughs> it, it, it is. It was my mom, actually, because my mom just, you know, my mom just carried on with things, you know. And I just feel Gaia's like this. Yeah, okay, all right, <laughs> I can do this. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's mm. wonderful. <laughs> I cannot not use that word amazing, especially when we did the story of Gaia too. It's just like, wow, like the awe, the, the wonder is amazing. So, you know, Anita, you wrote a book and I just want to bring this in and presence this in real quickly. And then I have a couple last questions for the show that are really important, but you teach the four sacred gifts. And I think they're so relevant to the story of Gaia and our relationship with our conscious planet right now. The, they are, those four gifts are the power of forgiveness, the power to forgive the unforgivable, the power of unity, the power of healing, and the power of hope in action. How do you think those gifts relate to the story of Gaia? I, I To me, I can't think of anything more beautiful and relevant than these gifts for these times. I think they're part of the conscious the evolution that has happened because these gifts are in every one of us. The key is to use them. And so indigenous people, we live from prophecy in that. And this prophecy came from the nineties and 27 elders from different traditions, all the world came together and they listened to spirit and put into this hoop, these, those four gifts you just named. And the promise from spirit was use these gifts First of all, it's critical to use these gifts because human beings, two-leggeds, have forgotten what it means to be a whole human being in harmony and balance with all our relatives. So use these four gifts and you will remember how to be in right relationship with yourself, with other two-leggeds, with all our relatives, everything. And what I have found is that in my own life, indeed, it has been true. And it connects us to our own divinity. It doesn't stop just here. It's like the passcode to our own divinity. And but the hundreds of thousands now of people who I have been the messenger of the Eagle Group prophecy, just, just talked to over a thousand people in Hawaii in various ceremonies at sacred sites. Every one of them, I know, I know that the promise is real. This consciousness, use these gifts and you will remember Thank you, Anita. I just, I'd just like to add a, a one, perhaps thought onto that, but it's not a thought; it's a feeling. And when I'd finished the, the story of Gaia, wrote me. I did not write the story of Gaia, but towards the end, after all this incredible journey of thirteen point eight billion years, the thing that really perhaps touched me at the deepest was you just said it: right relation, because throughout our universe. Literally, everything is in natural, right relation with everything else. And so I'd just like to speak a few sentences that speak to this because it's so powerful from your work and Julie's work. I wrote, alongside and beyond intellect, however, Gaia's progressively nurtured empathy and emotional attachments in her biosphere in the cooperative and loving relationships of mates, parents and offspring, families and communities. She's embedded circles of caring. Bacteria, insects and fish cooperate to look after others of their communities, especially the vulnerable. And in the altruism observed in rats and monkeys, the grieving of elephants, not only for their own kin, but for a human carer, 
the self-sacrifice of a human stranger and the protection by humpback whales from orcas of others not of their own species, the circles of care further expand as spirals of compassion. Mm. That's so beautiful. It is. Wow. So let that inspire you, Anita, because we're at the place that I'm calling the interview. So I'm going to ask you to just kind of close your eyes and take a breath and just be inspired by that. And the interview is going inside to that place of perfect peace and unity and just allowing the voice of this higher dimension to just speak through you. So from that interview, Anita, what do you want to share with our listeners today? Suffering does exist. And I don't mean to not acknowledge that people and our relatives, plants and animals are experiencing all that, the water. And I will say, want to share from a prophecy that we were told over thousands of years, different prophecies. The one I'm calling on is one that I've heard all my life and it's pretty old. It said, the time will come when the trees begin to die and the waters are not drinkable and the sky breathing is difficult, all these. So it sounds apocalyptic. The response, though, that was taught from my ancestors, from their ancestors, from their ancestors, is, and spirit says, and I believe this is the consciousness, sing your songs, do your dance, be in ceremony, be in community. And I want everyone who's listening in this time to make the space to remember the joy and sing your songs, do your dance, be in ceremony, be in community. And community, as you've been hearing us talk, is more than it's yourself, in alignment with yourself, your head and your heart and your spirit, but also with other human beings and with nature and everything, that this is This is part of the joy of being part of the universe. And that will provide us the knowing, the remembering belonging to be in right relationship. So there was a short time. I remember hearing that as a little girl and I just believed it. And then there was a time that I was angry and righteously, but nonetheless, and I thought, well, that can't be enough. And my mind kept trying, what did they leave out? What did they leave out? can't think of a thing. And I'll just say, I continue to do that. And I know lots of beings that do that, uh, not just two-leggeds. And we're here. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful for all of you who are listening and grateful for the two of you, your sweet beings in my life. Um, So thank you so much. Thank you. I have one more closing question for you, Anita. One more. But first, you've been listening to Dr. Anita Sanchez, our guest. You can find her at Anita hyphen sanchez.com also you could find jude at judecaravan.com and whole world hyphen view.org and myself at juliecroll.com and goodofthewhole.org okay for our closing call to action anita you kind of invited us into a, a little call for action but i'm wondering from your perspective if there's one simple action or or maybe it's not a simple action maybe it is a lifetime step that they need to take. But what 
is that one call to action that you want to inspire our listeners to of today to how to serve the good of the whole? As many times during the day as you can. It only takes seconds. Seconds. Remind yourself of what you're grateful for. Breath, mobility, people who love you, your four-legged friends, these beautiful trees, anything, but do it multiple times a day. Seconds. Doesn't take a lot of time. And from that, we know that we will remember. You will remember and you'll become stronger, healthier, loving, be able to take on the challenges, but do it with joy. Uh, that sense of responsibility is actually a joyful one. So gratitude as many times during the day as you can. Perfect. I am so grateful for you, Anita. Thank you for joining us today. And thank you, Jude. This was a delightful conversation. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. Thank you both. So I want to leave you listeners with the words of Jude and the story of Gaia. I not only remain in wonder at the audacity of the visionary magnificence of a cosmos that could dream such a thought that is our universe and Gaia, but in seeking to understand how this living marvel is co-created, my awe has risen to such heights of reverence and love that finding words to describe them has become nigh impossible. I'm Julie Kroll. You've been listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. This is part of our Conscious Planet series with co-host and author, Dr. Jude Curavan. Thanks for joining us. And together, we are creating connection for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now. If you enjoyed the show, go to your favorite podcast platform, Remember to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. Also, please consider supporting The Dr. Julie Show at patreon.com backslash allthingsconnected. When we each give a little, we all get a little more. You can stay in touch with me at juliecrawlemail.com. Thanks for listening.